I can recall um, going to the pool with my kids when they were younger. And when you're when they're that age, they're you're, you're, they're just learning how to swim. And you might stand and you'd be in like the three or four foot section. And I remember looking around and seeing a couple moms and dads, and they've got their arms outstretched, and their little kid is standing like perched on the edge of the wall like a little bird, and deciding whether to jump in or not. And this kid has a life jacket on, waders on. I mean, it could withstand a typhoon probably. But the kid doesn't know that, right? And they're standing at the edge. And what's the parent saying? Come on, jump in. It'll be fun. You'll like it. You're fine. You're fine. And the kid's kind of frozen. If it goes on, the parent gets a little impatient. Especially, well, typically if it's bad. I'll just confess. And the, the cheerful tone gives way to frustration. Would you jump in the pool? Right? <laughs> You might even be a little embarrassed. Other kids are jumping in. Yours is perched on the edge. They're jumping in. They're fine. You're not going to drown. You might even give them the countdown. I'm going to stay here for three more seconds, and then I'm going to the deep end. Three, two, and you're watching their face. And if they're still afraid, this reveals your level of maturity at this point. You don't give up on them. You don't leave the pool. You don't count down to one and a half, one and a quarter, right? But you don't get to one. And a lot of times, you'll switch it. And you might do something like this. You'll look at them, you'll make eye contact, and you, you talk just to them. And you, you, you're kind. And you tell them, you can jump in. You can trust me. You can trust me. Go ahead. It'll be all right. And now you're getting to where they're really at. They don't care if it's fun. They don't care if you're angry. They just care that they don't drown. And they want to know that they can trust you. Now, this is so frustrating for parents because we're like, why on earth would I not? Why wouldn't you trust me now? I just drove you here. I fed you meals three days a week for years. I've never once poisoned you. I've never stranded you. I'm a trustworthy parent. Why wouldn't you trust me at the edge of the pool? Right? I put your waders on. I put the stuff in. Like, why at this moment? Well, it's a new situation, right? Two things real quick. Trust is learned. Trust is learned. Agreed? We learn to trust. Trust is also situational. So they trusted you to drive the car, but this is a new situation. They don't know if they can trust you to keep them safe from them until they try. Which also shows us this, and this is what we're going to develop this morning. Trust begins with a belief, okay? It begins with a belief that ends in a decision. It begins with a belief that ends with a decision. That is the fulcrum of trust. That is what trust does. So let's learn about it from God's word this morning. Proverbs 3, because the Lord is going to challenge you to trust him in every situation, the new ones and the old ones, and he's going to give you reasons to believe that should end up in decisions you make which reveal a heart of trust for God, right? In any situation, every situation, God is trustworthy for you in your life. One, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. This is the father Talking to the son. Proverbs is a lot of father teaching son. So it's good parental model. 
But it's also Father God talking to you as child. My son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. All right, so this is the start of a lecture that goes through verse 12. The opening chapters of Proverbs, especially 1 to 9, are a series of lectures. And then once you hit chapter 10, they become a series of uh, sayings or aphorisms, like the little short kind of things you're used to. And the father's very persuasive here. Look what he tells the son. He's telling the son and all of us, listen to me. Listen to me. Do not forget what I'm saying. Bind these things on your, on your, around your neck. Write them, not on your worksheet, not on your phone. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Write them all the way into you. I like what Bruce Walkie. Bruce Walkie, again, I mentioned him. He's written a great commentary on Proverbs. And he says this about the heart. The heart is the center in Hebrew thought. The heart is the center of all of a person's emotional, intellectual, religious, and moral activities. Like the very deepest part of you. From the heart, the mouth speaks, right? From the heart, we make our actions. From the heart, we, we, we worship or we don't worship. And that's why I keep talking about parenting the heart. Because as parents, again, if we're always on the outer layer of behavior, study hard, don't talk back, eat your vegetables, and we never talk to the heart of our children, we're, we're really missing the whole thing. The heart is the center, it's the deepest part of a human being. That's the Bible word for it, the heart. We don't have a great English word for it, so we just use that one, because it's, it's good enough. It's the core of a person. It's from what generates everything else. Right? And so to, to parent the heart of your child is to understand what they're afraid of. Because fear is tremendously powerful, right? It's to understand what might tempt them, where their pride will be a pitfall in their life. It's to show them, you know, is their faith growing or not? What are the obstacles to it? It's getting beneath the layers of behavior and understanding that within your child is a heart, just like you have within you. So the father tells the son, write these things on the tablet of your heart. Now we come to verse 5 and we get to the theme of trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I said at the beginning, right, trust begins with the belief that ends in a decision. What's the core belief if you trust someone? You believe what? Well, you believe they're going to do the right thing, right? You believe they're going to keep their word if they made a promise, you know, do X if they said they do X. But it doesn't just stop at believing they're going to do the right thing. If it did, that would be maybe respect. We would call that respect, right? Someone who has a lot of integrity. Trust is vested. You know what that word means, kids? Vested. If you're vested in something, it means you have stake in the decision. So you have extra dessert in your home. You're wondering, will we get to eat this extra dessert? We had uh, some nice donuts dropped off at our house recently. And the question came up, are these bonus? Are these bonus? Are these in addition to the regular treats we have? And the answer was a blessed yes. But the question was vested, because if they were bonus, we'd all get donuts that day. Trust is vested. It means I not only believe you'll do the right thing, 
now I'm going to put my safety in you. I am going to trust you with me, right? So it begins with belief, it ends with the decision to put your safety or your hope, perhaps your future, your security in someone else's hands, which is why trust is scary, right? That the fear factor of trust is, I am giving these immensely valuable things to you. A child at the edge of the pool is asking, can I trust my mommy and daddy? A discouraged spouse is asking, can I trust my spouse to keep their word? Remember I shared about pastors last week who were dying of cancer. I got a terrible email about one of them yesterday. Just awful. Um, his bones are breaking. Okay. He's back in the hospital. He, he just asked us to keep praying for him. That he wouldn't be crushed by the pain. That he would keep trusting the Lord. And now he's not just trusting the Lord with his life, he's trusting the Lord with his death, if it comes to that, right? That's how deep trust goes. People aren't trustworthy, but the Lord, the Lord is completely trustworthy, which is why he keeps telling us, don't trust, you know, with all your heart. Anything else but me. God wants exclusive and complete trust. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, right? That's where we just were. He says, you're going to be tempted to trust yourself, but lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 28, 16 is like it. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. To trust in your own mind, in this word means you're keeping God out of your decisions. The proverb says if you keep God out and you trust only in your thoughts and in your analysis, you're actually living a foolish life. The Proverbs warn us not, not just to not trust in yourself. It says don't trust in your wealth. Whoever trusts in his riches, this is Proverbs eleven twenty eight. whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. You don't need to be rich to trust in your riches, do you? You don't need to be a Jeff Bezos to trust in your riches. You just need a heart that thinks your money will save you. But money ends up corrupting us, Jesus said. The love of money corrupts us. See, the thing with trusting God is this. Trusting God will never lead you into sin. It will never lead you into sin. Trusting money will. Because it inevitably pulls your love to this direction and you start to make decisions that are compromised because you want more of it. That was the heart of Jesus' warning, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So do you trust money, or do you trust the Lord? Do you trust your own mind, or do you trust the Lord's wisdom? The last one, and I could have, again, picked a thousand here. Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Chariots would have been the new military technology of the dead, right? What do you trust in? Do you trust in the new tech? Do you trust in the military? Do you trust in power? Do you trust in worldly strength? It says, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's the distinction. Every other nation trusted in their chariots and horses. People of God say, no, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trusting the Lord begins with the belief that God is good and just. 
good in jazz. A number of people, people ask me this, do you think so-and-so is going to heaven or hell? I don't It gets very personal though when it's your family member or friend who's died. And you know what, I tell them, look, God is good and just. Whatever their eternal destiny is, is the right one. That's trust though, that's trusting God. God is also holy and infinite, which means his ways are not your ways. He doesn't think like you. He's not an American in the 21st century. God's ways, it says, are beyond our ways. And we're going to get to why pain is one of the biggest barriers to trust. And the holiness and the infiniteness of God has to have a place in your conception of God because it's going to come over and over. And you're going to have to remember that his ways, they're not your ways. And so if you're always evaluating God based on, well, I wouldn't do that, that's not trust. Trust that God is compassionate, but also wrathful. God possesses tremendous compassion and mercy. We see it on the cross of Jesus Christ. But he also says, I will not leave unrepentant sins unpunished. Because he's just. And finally, trust that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Our proverb says, trust in the Lord. If Jesus is Lord, it's very simple logic here, right? Trust in Jesus. Now, I want to show you guys something. This is interesting. I want to show you how the gospel is right in this section. So verses 1 to 4, if you want to look back at them in your paper, you don't need to flip back in the slides. Just here we are. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, right? They're going to prolong your life, bring you peace, prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never lead you. Bind them around your neck, write them, then you'll win favor. Let me ask you this. Can you guys do that? Can you guys promise me that you're not going to forget God's teaching ever? Can you promise me that you're going to keep his commands in your heart always? That you are going to, you know what, Peter, I'm doing it. Love and faithfulness, they're never going to leave me. Ever. I'm on board with this God thing today. Can you make that promise to me in good conscience? I can't make it to you in good conscience because I know who I am. Check this out. We've talked about how Jesus is the fulfillment of wisdom in Proverbs, right? He's also the wise son. Jesus is the only son who does these things. Does that make sense to you? If you think about the father talking to the son, Jesus never forgets. Jesus never leaves love and faithfulness. Jesus has these things written on his heart. Why does that matter? Because it matters this way. All the blessings of wisdom are in him. The long life, riches, honor, prosperity. Remember we talked about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. That's what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, Paul, Jesus is the power of God and he's the wisdom of God. He is, in, in covenantal language, the keeper of the law. In wisdom literature, he is the wise son. So Christ has the wise son who does all of these things. And so how does the gospel kick in? The gospel kicks in and says this. The shocking and amazing thing is, put your trust in Jesus Christ 
and he shares all the blessings of wisdom with you. You enter into his family. You are adopted by God. A good friend of ours recently adopted a child. They've been waiting almost four years. Uh, they had a biological son, and then they have to uh, now they have to adopt. Uh, it just happened last week. Beautiful. Still happened through Zoom, right? Everything happened through Zoom. But before it was done, or in the middle of it, a representative from the court told them this. By adopting this child, you know, right, that you have to care for them, love them, provide for them, the same way you do for your biological son. Two boys in the family. And that's exactly what they wanted to do. They weren't trying to adopt Cinderella, right? All right, we got this kid, let's put him to work. Go sweep the chimneys, right? You adopt a child because you want to bring them all the way into your family. They were dying to make this kid a full, blessed member of their family. They even told them in the court, and Jamie passed this on to me and it stuck in my head, that the, the court representative said, this child has a right to your inheritance. A right to your inheritance. Isn't that such a biblical idea? You're adopted as children into God's family when you trust Jesus with all your heart and the inheritance is the riches and the honor and glory that the wise son has earned from the father. And so we're brought in and so we have a joy that is in some ways inexplicable. We're not afraid because we know our trust is in the Lord and he is good for our safety. Do you want the blessings of God? And you have to trust in his son. And if you want to do that today, you'll have an opportunity to do that when I close this in prayer. If you're ready to say, Jesus, I do want to be in the family of God. I'm repenting of my old way, trusting in my money, trusting in my wealth, and I'm ready, and I desire the riches and blessings of God. I'll get to give you a chance to do that when I close in prayer, but I want to leave that door open to you right now. Nothing needs to come between you and salvation. Right? Jesus says, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Now let's apply it to parenting a little bit, okay? How does trust, how does trust fit into parenting? I'm just going to walk through our four letters here from Go West. W stands for words of truth. Every single time you teach the gospel to your kids, you are leaning not on your own understanding, but you're trusting the Lord. Every time you do it, every time you decide to make a little lesson out of something, seize the moment, barge into some crazy conversation about who knows what, and just say, all right, all right, I just want you guys to listen to me. Every time you do it, you're trusting the Lord. So keep doing it. Lean not on your own understanding, but instead, and what's the gospel? We're saved by grace, by God's kindness, through faith, so that we can live for God's glory. E, expressions of love. Discipline is an act of love, and it's an act of trust. The last verse of this lecture says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, 
Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Listen, if the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, why on earth wouldn't we? Right? If it's good enough for God, it should be good enough for us. But why do we do it? Because we trust Proverbs 22.5 with 15, which says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Right? If that's your belief, it says, But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And that's the decision. The belief is that my child has folly, foolishness bound up in their hearts. And the decision is, therefore, I need to discipline them well. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that by ignoring discipline, you're hating your children? But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. If so, that's the decision, to be faithful and diligent in disciplining. I could go on, right? But that's it. Trusting in God leads parents to discipline and not worry about if we're cool or if we're kind. Discipline typically ought to produce some tears. All right. When you take the toy away, they might cry. When you say, you know what, you've you got to stay in your room for the next 30 minutes, they might cry. When you say, you know, you, you can't go out to the party. They might not cry, they might pout. When you spank them, they might cry. Shouldn't be from abuse, right? But discipline causes pain. The Bible says all discipline seems painful at the time. But the purpose of God is that by seeing this temporary pain, children learn, I don't want to live that way. I want to live where the blessings are. I want to go where the good things are. And my parents are showing me a little bit of how God works. As specific prayers, there may be no better evidence that you trust the Lord than that you actually pray. Right? It's in prayer that we demonstrate our trust for the God, specifically coming and saying, you know what, if I trust in money more than God, I'm going to think it's not worth my time to stop and pray. If I trust in my own knowledge more than God, I'm going to spend my time researching the answer and I'm not going to pray. Right? All these other things decide, and so T is just time together, and T is the wrap-up of all of them. If I trust the Lord, I want to do, I'm going to spend these time, I'm going to make these commitments and I'm going to go after my children with gospel, love, and purity. And I'm going to encourage them. And I'm going to discipline them. And I'm going to love them. And yeah, we're going to have our fun. And we're going to play. And we're going to do this stuff. But they're going to hear from me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's where the blessings are. All right. We're going to conclude here. I know I'm running a little late. I'm just going to say this. Pain is the biggest obstacle. Maybe not the biggest. But pain is a big obstacle to trust. I just want you to remember the story of Joseph, right? Beaten and abused and abandoned by his brothers. That's broken trust, isn't it? Beaten and abused and abandoned by his brothers. Years later, he stands before them and he looks at them and he says, what you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Here's the profound truth. Pain is a discipline from God even when the pain is wrong, the discipline of the Lord is right. That is tough to handle at times. Even when the pain comes from evil actions, God can use it and will use it. He says, all things for the good of those who love me. And as you put your trust in God, check this out, last point. As you put your trust more and more in God and you say, Lord, you're my safety. 
you're my security. Then you know what that does? That actually helps you trust people again who've broken trust with you. It's very profound. The more you trust in the Lord, the more you actually trust that person to the Lord. Could be your spouse, could be child or friend. But if they've betrayed you and you're like, I don't know if I can ever trust them again. The more you put your trust in the Lord, the more you'll be able to trust that person to the Lord and cautiously, but possibly, start to trust them, but not because they're your new safety, but because you're securing God. I can't develop that idea. I'll just let it germinate. Um, let's uh, stand for a word of prayer and we'll close uh, with one last song.